0: I always learn some new songs. When he was uh, up at Northern California and directed the camps up there, this church always knew 8,000 more songs than our church. Knew. Yeah. I don't know where it was. He came out of the sidewalk. I mean, Scripture songs now, not ditties or things like that. But uh, There were a few ditties there, but uh, Scripture songs. and I I really appreciate that. So, there's are two new ones for me. Thank you. Keep doing that. Uh, also, I want to thank those who uh, showed up to my party at 1.30. We had a videotape then. Awful looking thing, but uh, I appreciate you coming out. At 4 o'clock we had a little gang discussing covenant theology, so thank you for coming out. Uh, tomorrow we throw another party at 1.30. I'll say around 1.30. I have another videotape on this uh, talk show that uh, I had and this Episcopal minister. Uh, it's only a 40-minute tape. So uh, but we'll do that at 1.30 and then 4 o'clock we'll have our discussion on covenant theology, dispensationalism. You know, the old statement, uh, I guess back in the 20s was, as Maine goes, so goes the nation. Well, that's not the way it is now. It, then it became as nehemiah goes, so goes the nation. And now it's, what? Adiwa, right? Iowa goes, so goes the nation. Who's, who's first? Iowa's first, isn't it? And uh, hopefully up to Senator Kopp, it'll be California someday. He's put it in, the California way have the first primary. But in fact, it's as the church goes, so goes the nation. As the church of Jesus Christ goes, so goes the world. It's very important. The condition of the church is important to the world in every sense of the term. Turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Now, I have a whole message for the whole chapter, but I won't go through the whole chapter. So it'll be half a message. So hopefully it'll be shorter. Acts chapter 19. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for Jesus, who is Lord of lords and King of kings. And as we examine your word, inspire us by that word. Make us fit vessels for the Master's use and fill us by your Spirit. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Acts 19, starting with verse 8. And he entered into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, reasoning and persuading as to the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them, separated the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This continued for the space of two years, so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, insomuch that unto the sick were carried away from his body handkerchiefs, or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out but certain also of the strolling Jews, exorcists, took upon them to name over them that had the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief priest who did this, And the evil spirit answered and said unto them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and mastered both of them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, that dwelt at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Many also of them that had believed came, confessing and declaring their deeds. And not a few of them that practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of the Lord and prevailed. We'll end there. We may have the second part of the chapter at another time. But verses 8 through 20. What about the influence of the church in the community? The community of Ephesus. Here's Paul. This isn't, I don't think this is the first time he's at Ephesus. But he comes to Ephesus, Look back in verse 8, to synagogue. Now at this particular point in the book, of Acts, and in the history of the church, the synagogue was the church. This was the Bible-believing church. Now, whether they actually believe the Bible or take the Bible seriously is another question, but if you wanted to learn about the Bible, you went to the local synagogue. And it's true, even the Christian community was called a synagogue, even the term synagogue. The word synagogue simply means the gathering together, and here is the gathering of the faithful. At Ephesus. Here's a well established church in the community. It found its niche in Ephesus. And Ephesus was known throughout the rest of the chapter, it talks about this great temple to the goddess Diana, it was known to be the guardian keeper of the great temple. And this temple of Diana, or Artemis, was supposed to be one of the seven wonders of the world. Well, that's quite interesting to have a pastorate or ministry in a city like that. At least when people come to visit you, you can take them around, show them them this grand, magnificent temple. Something to brag about, where you live. Paul goes right to the synagogue, not to the temple of Artemis, or Diana. Verse 8. And he entered into the synagogue and spoke boldly with them. Okay. What's the whole story about? The whole story is about the kingdom of God. He preaches about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, the whole book of of Acts is about the kingdom of God. Turn to to the chapter 1. Turn to the front of the book of Acts, your Bible. What's the title you have on yours? Some Bibles just say Acts. Not very clever. Doesn't seem to appeal to you a whole lot. Mayan says, the Acts. Some people get the Acts. Some people have the Acts of the Apostles. I think that the best title for this whole book, it is not the Acts of the Apostles. Oh, yes, it is the Acts of the Apostles. But the supreme title of the book of Acts is the Acts of Christ. Some Bibles say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that's true, too. So I'd like to phrase it, the acts of Christ, or the acts of Christ through the Holy Spirit, through his apostles, through the church. So you could say it's the acts of the church. But supremely, what you have in the whole book of Acts is the acts of Jesus Christ, the actual implementing of the reign of King Jesus. Now, there are some people, some Christians, Bible believers, that believe that Jesus is Lord and so forth, but they're really not convinced that Jesus is real Lord, or at least he's not king. Or if he is king, he's not exercising his rule. And I'll point them to the book of Acts. I mean, after all, you look around now in the world, is Jesus king? Well, if this is what Jesus kingship means, then maybe I don't want that kind of kingship, or maybe there's not much to that kingship. If that's what kingship means, look what's going on in the world. When you look at the book of Acts, is this the kingship of Christ? Yes, yeah, it's very much the kingship of Christ. Don't separate the kingship or the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit here. So Paul is t- telling them about the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of Christ. And what you have is an actual account of Christ's intrusion in a city, starting with the church or the synagogue. As the synagogue or as this gathering of the believers goes, so goes the rest of the community. Spent three months there reasoning and persuading as to the message of the kingdom of God. Verse 9. When some were hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. The message of the kingdom of God apparently was a message, or at least the way Paul preached it got some of these folks upset. So much upset that Paul separated himself from the community of believers. Maybe it was the way he said it, you know. They don't object to what he says, it's just the way he says it. Perhaps you've heard that. Perhaps the elders in your congregation have done some pretty rash things, or your minister has done so many rash things. It's not that you object to what they did, it's just how they did it. That's usually an easy criticism to deal with. Maybe it's the way Paul says. You, you could always rub someone just the opposite way. Maybe if Paul was a little more, less bold, he spoke boldly, maybe brashly, spent three months there persuading concerning the kingdom. Some were hardened by the message. Now, there are some commentators that say that this is the first time you get a schism you know what the word schism means? It's like the word scissor. It means a split. This is the first time you get a split in a community of believers, a split in the church. You see what Paul does? You see? Paul brings a split in the church. Now, Paul is a real believer, and if he really believes in God's Word and the law of God and things like that, it doesn't promote splits at all. And yet there's a split here. He departed from them. He gathers his disciples that believed in this kingdom and the message of the kingdom and they set up their own community. Maybe you thought in your mind, when do you leave a church? You, that's not an easy thought. That's not an easy question to deal with. When do you leave a Church that at least claims to believe the Bible. I mean, it's easy if you're in a, an association or a group of people that just reject the Bible after a while. But there is some formality here. The synagogue at least uh, had some uh, connection to the Word of God. In Acts 15, it talks about the Moses is being read in the synagogues weekly, and yet they didn't accept the message of the kingdom. It's a hard thing to separate from the church. Well, this was a church of sorts that rejected the message of the kingdom. And they had to leave this church. It's interesting also the word, he departed from them. The word departed there in the original language is the word "apostasize." Now, when we say the word "apostasize," it's like they fell away from the faith. Now, that's not the meaning of the word Here. Well, it's the root meaning of the idea of apostasy. But for sure the synagogue looked at Paul as falling away from the faith. And, of course, Paul's not falling away from the faith. He's preaching the faith. And this community of believers of sorts, they were rejecting that message. They couldn't stand the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom will upset people. It will transform a society... Verse 10, This continued for the space of two years, and so that all that were dwelling in Asia Asia, heard the word of the Lord. Now, here he is proclaiming the word of the Lord, persuading them, preaching, convincing them in such a way that apparently Paul wasn't uh, going around all Asia at this particular point. For two years he stays at Ephesus, and apparently there are others spreading the word. He was such an influence. He stayed at Ephesus. Verse 11, Verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, I have the word special miracles. Does anybody have a different translation? Special miracles in verse 11. Anything different? Extraordinary. What do you have? Unusual. Unusual. Extraordinary. Uncommon. uncommon. That's more of a little translation. Yeah, uncommon. That's right. It's interesting. Miracles are uncommon. I mean, we don't run into those all the time. It's a, de- it's a definition of a Miracle. When's the last time you had one? Oh, we have them all the time. Well, they stopped being miracles after a while. The whole definition of a miracle is that which is extraordinary. And here it compounds the word extraordinary. Uncommon miracle. And these are the uncommon miracles. You've seen this on TV, haven't you? <laughs> Handkerchiefs taken away from his body, and they were uh, sent to people who had diseases. And evil spirits left them. Little patches of cloth. Now, if you are in a city, a famous city like Ephesus, and you're in a dead church, how do you get people to come out anyway? You've got to have some gimmick. You've got to have something to have a draw there, right? Why not a patch of cloth, a prayer cloth of some sort, and send that around to people? Some some little gimmick. That's nothing wrong. Paul did it. Here it is. And insomuch uh, that unto the sick were carried away from the his body, handkerchiefs and aprons and all kinds of things. What a way to attract the crowd, right? This is the way you want to attract the crowd. Now, you want to teach them the gospel, right? You want to get them to heaven. Isn't that the most important thing? Wanting to get them to heaven. Now, how you draw them in, that may be another thing. You may use all kinds of gimmicks and gadgets to bring them in, just as long as you bring them in. Aren't we to learn from this text... But you can use this kind of stuff. Well, I don't think so. And I think the emphasis on that expression, unusual miracle, indicates that this was something special. He wasn't doing this. Doesn't say Paul was doing this. Doesn't say Paul was sending around these things. It's in the passive sense, which means they were being done uh, to him or taken from him or carried away from his body. I don't know whether Paul advocated any of that stuff, but maybe they were just pulling it off him. Fantastic things. This was not an ordinary thing to do. We're not to go to this text to find out how they did it. Hmm. We ought to do that. Send little, uh, how about we send little uh, plastic amulets, not amulets, but things uh, with a Bible verse on it or something, uh, a happy expression. Uh, Now, he gave these away. Now, if you give them away, you're stupid. Maybe you can make some money off this thing. But they were unusual things. Verse 13. Certain of the strolling Jews, exorcists, took upon them the name over. Here were some Jews. We could call them people that believed in the Bible. In a a fashion, in a way, they used the Bible. Uh, They were casting out demons, a good thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. It helps out society, the less demons in society the better society is. Isn't that right? So that they were taking on themselves some basic good deed. Why not do what Paul does? Let's start casting out these demons. We'll use the name of Jesus. Take upon them to name over them that had the evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus. After all, Paul did it. Why can't I? If Paul simply says, in the name of Jesus, come out... Big deal. I mean So what? I can do that too. Everybody ought to be able to do that. And so once again there are people that take a look at this text and simply say, Hey, you know, there's something here. Now this is a way to attract attention. This is a way to build your church. And so they tried this, the name over the name of Jesus. You know, when the gospel goes out of your message This is the sad part. When the gospel leaves, because it is the power of God into salvation, there's nothing left but magic. Magic is left. And they're talking about magic. And these people were pretty much involved with magic. Goes on to talk about what they did with that magic stuff. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ is laid aside, the only alternative is magic. And you know, that's what a lot of people think of the gospel. A lot of people think of Christianity. Perhaps you run into people yourself that think of Christianity as nothing but magic, hocus-pocus stuff. And so they don't want to believe in it. And then there are some people that believe that Christianity is magic and they do want to believe in it. I was listening to What's-His-Name on TV uh, the other night. You've heard of the Name-It-and-Claim-It group of people. And he was really advocating this. If you want it, you just have to say it. That's all. Speak the word, and it's yours. You don't have it because you don't say the words. It's simply in your words. And that's pretty popular in televangelism, too. Uh, we had a lawyer, uh, not John Whitehead, who was our lawyer, but he hired one for our case. Um, a good fella, a Christian fella, but he was caught up into this stuff. And uh, when we're in the midst of our lawsuit, I used to say, "Boy, I hope we lose, because if we lose, then we go to appellate court, and that's a big deal. We've, well, that's a good place to be in appellate court. That's where you want to do your fighting." And Tom would say, "No, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say it because it's going to happen. It's going to happen." He gave me a little book to read. Be careful of what you say. The Irish have a, a, a little proverb about that too: "The devil can hear you. He knows what's going to say. Can't hear what you think. Keep it to yourself, but he knows what you're going to say." mother used to give me that mother doesn't believe it though <laughs> just say the words it's real popular just to use the words you heard what Oral Roberts said the other day He can always get a crowd that he uh, healed some, uh, raised somebody from the dead and then on his son's program he kind of retracted some of that kind of just toned it down maybe they weren't really dead, or I don't know whether they were dead was this really expression. Well, it doesn't make any difference whether he can raise people from the dead. He hasn't got the right to. These fellows don't have the right to name the name of Jesus. Only the apostle does. Only the church of Jesus Christ has the right to proclaim that gospel. There is no other institution that has the right to proclaim that name but the church of Jesus Christ. And I get real sticky-wicked on that one. A lot of people want to proclaim the name of Christ, but they don't want to do it in the church of Jesus Christ. They want to have their own little group. We see what happens on TV with some of these fellows. They just have their own little group, and they'll preach Jesus, no matter what anybody says. And it's almost a virtue that they're trying to tout. I don't care what the church says, and the church is always evil anyway. You know, for this, this demon degree that I had to get... We had to spend the first week last August, the whole week, listening to the televangelists. From uh, Jimmy Swaggart to uh, uh, John Kennedy. Uh, Jack Kennedy, what's his name? DJ. Right. Jim Kennedy. And We had to watch them all, it was about a dozen of them. The whole week. Wow, watching all that stuff. And you know what? I. I I, I grew to like Jimmy Swagger. I don't agree with everything he says. But he's real forthright. But one thing I was really upset about was there's one who attacks the church of Jesus Christ. I don't just mean the, the bad parts, but I mean it's just an attack on the church, just a riveting machine gun attack on the church of Jesus Christ. You can guarantee he's going to attack the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the church of Jesus Christ isn't perfect, for sure, but it is the best institution that's ever been. You know, when we said sanctify Jesus as Lord yesterday, when Peter said sanctify Jesus as Lord, he also meant sanctify his institution, his church. There is no other institution in the world. I mean, we may not be the most loving people among ourselves, but we are the most loving people compared to <clears throat> any other institution for sure. I mean, you may be able to spot people that aren't so loving and they ought to be more loving and all that other stuff. I guess I was raised, I was raised in the church, Baptist or whatever your background is. And I get tired of criticizing the church of Jesus Christ. I get tired of hearing people denigrating and putting down the church of Jesus Christ. And it does have its problems, for sure. But by and large, and overall, it is the most loving institution. Donna comes back from the law firm. There's about 120 lawyers in this firm that you're in. Thereabouts. 100 lawyers. I mean, they're at each other's throat. Just to get in the corporate ladder. It's a relief to get back to the church of Jesus Christ where there really is the only institution promised eternal life. Sanctify his institution, set his institution apart. People in San Francisco need help. People in your own community need help. They need to come into a community of believers. There's no other institution authorized to cast out demons but the church of Jesus Christ. And we cast out demons too by the gospel of Jesus Christ. No gimmicks, no phantasms, no, no uh, instantaneous uh, uh, things going on. It's simply the faithful preaching. It's not magic. It's simply the preaching of the gospel. And I'm afraid, that for sure, there's none of us that would say the gospel is magic, but it seems like sometimes we live that way. How is your church going to grow? By magic. Because I'm not going to do anything. Now, no one's going to say that here. Granted, understand that. But that seems to be the way it works, that our church is going to grow by magic. And again, I'm not talking about numerical growth all the time. There's all kinds of growth, this way as well as this way as well as this way too. But it seems like that we maybe there is a subtle magic in our the way we do live, and we're resorting to letting magic uh, caused the church to grow you know prayer isn't magic would that hurts went away by magic would that the last time you said something to somebody it was the wrong thing and you realized that just after you said it you could just show, wipe it away and start over again it doesn't happen that way you've got to apologize or you've got to repent get right with that person as well as right with the Lord there's no magic to it Prayer is not magical. The disciples came along and they were upset because they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus said, you had weak faith. Oh, you with little faith. All you need is faith is a grain of mustard seed. It's not the size of that faith or the quantity of that faith, but it's the quality of that faith. It's that faith. Somebody said in Presbytery to me uh, a few years ago. As a matter of fact, they weren't talking specifically to me. They were kind of admonishing. And you know how Presbyteries. Presbyters admonish one another. Wow, can they? And this was a good one. And I don't know the context. I don't know why he brought it up. But he simply mentioned a phrase that has stuck with me, helped me out, and brought us through a whole lot of things. Men ought to pray rather than faint. And yet we resort to magic instead. We resort to something else. You know, when we go through those tough times, it's magic that's going to get us through when it's simply prayer. And growing in the Christian life is not a matter of magic. Jesus used the word agonizo, agonized, to strive to enter the straight gate. It's tough. Not because the demands of Christ are tough. You know, John said His commandments are not grievous. The demands of Christ are not grievous. His yoke is what? His yoke is what? Easy. His burden is light but we delight in putting on the heavy yokes. That means bearing that without Christ, bearing that burden without Christ. You know, this can turn into a message on prayer. Boy, every message on prayer brings great conviction to me. Exactly, Who's going to knock prayer, right? Who's going to vote against prayer? It's not magic. You know what? Your children won't be... Adult, mature members in the kingdom by magic. Your covenant children don't become mature members of the church of Jesus Christ by magic. You've got to train them. And I know ministers and elders that are sloppy in their training their children. I'm afraid if I don't train my children. What's going to happen? There's far fiercer judgment on those that have known the way and turned away from it, known the way of truth, escaped for the time and yet turned turned away from it. Far fiercer judgment for that. And on the parents, it's going to be worse if we don't get serious with our children. There's no magic about raising your children, your covenant children to the Lord. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by osmosis. Now, whether you ingrain a catechism to them, and that's a good thing to use, or whether you like to use Bible verses, doesn't make any difference, or a combination of those things. We have to be diligent. If the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, or any other church, is going to exist 50 years from now, or 100 years from now, we've got to get serious now about the children. I don't have a whole lot of excitement when I hear the latest news on the latest church the the latest new church it's two or three years old and how they started out with four old members and in what 16 weeks they got 600 people there and they did it by telephoning everybody or they did it by this and that all these gadgets I don't have a whole lot of excitement about a church that grows like that I mean I do I, I appreciate that and I thank God that he can use churches like that I want to see a church that's 50 years old and what's it doing then Because, you know, there's a lot, they go through that uh, cycle of just a whole burgeoning, a whole crowd coming in there. And it's marvelous. And I look at a church like that, and I only have 50 members, you know. And you look at that, and they have 300 members. And how does the PCA do it? How does the OPC do it? Or how does the Bapt how do the Baptists do it? And I kind of lust after that. And so Carl Erickson, the pastor of South San Francisco, we get on the phone and we go, what are we doing wrong? And we cry about it, and we wonder, what do we ought to do? This is what we ought to do. Try a new gimmick. We resort to magic again. Union Church is 50 to 75 years old. I'll see how it's doing then. Are the children there? Again, thank God for my parents' training. My father's training me. Um, he has a Baptist church, and I go there, and I've known those people for 25 years. And the children are now members in good standing. And they don't believe in covenant theology either. And I wonder how those children grew up, you know, not being trained. It's by the grace of God that that church continues. It's by the grace of God that any of our churches continue. It's not magic. You can't resort to magic. These exorcists trying to take on the name of Jesus. If only we just use the name, name of Jesus as some kind of incantation. It doesn't work. They have no authority to use that name. But we do have that authority to use that name in the church of Jesus Christ. Keep going. Verse 13, But certain also of the strolling Jews, exorcists took upon them to name over them that had evil spirits. Verse 14, And there were seven sons of one Sceva Jew, a chief priest, who did this. There are some PKs that thought they could use the name of Jesus. They're following in their father's footsteps. Don't knock it now. They're not into drugs. They're still working in the church. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? That is simply, by what authority? Where do you come off? They have no authority. They're resorting to magic. Verse 15. Verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit had leaped leaped on them and mastered both of them and prevailed against them. Look at the word prevailed. And prevailed. Do you hear the word prevailed? Overpowered. Overpowered. Oh, anybody else? Overpowered, prevailed. Anything else? It is the same word that's used in Matthew 16: The gates of hell shall not prevail. Here, the gates of hell are prevailing against these characters. Outside the Church of Jesus Christ, there is no protection. There really isn't any protection against the onslaughts of Satan. Now, you may not have anybody leap on you. And rip you apart and rip your clothes off and things like that. But you're still in the domain of Satan. That's an awful state to be in, an awful condition to be in. And we have to warn our neighbors about that, and you have to warn your friends about that. It's a terrible condition to be in. And the devil may not try anything spectacular like this. It's just eternal death is the end. And, and mastered both of them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all Jews and Greeks and fear fell on all of them in the name of the Lord Jesus. You can't take on the name of Jesus and get away with it. You can't take on that name and expect, just, just take on that name, just assume that name. Jesus warns about that. Matthew 7. Taking on that name. Verse 21, you know it. Not every one that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name and by thy name cast out demons and by thy name do many mighty works and then I will profess unto them I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now, these are fellas. That went through the motions, at least. Give them credit. I'd like to write an article on behalf of hypocrites. At least hypocrites go halfway. They're not all bad. Some of my best friends are hypocrites. Why should we blame them? Turn back to Acts again. 19. They have no right. And they're at the behest, they're at the will of Satan. That's an awful, awful condition to be in. These are PKs, priest kids here. And they may be in the church in some sense of the word. They may be uh, uh, professing believers in some sense of the term. But they haven't possessed Christ. They haven't possessed that kingdom, and the kingdom hasn't taken hold of them. Well, that's a that's a frightful condition to be in. But there is a transformation going on in this church. This church here. This synagogue here at Ephesus needed revival. They had fit into the community just right. They had fit into the community just perfectly. They became part of the establishment just as long as they don't rock anything. That's what Paul's doing. Verse 18. Many also of them that had believed came confessing and declaring their deeds. And not a few of them, which means there's a lot of them, that practiced the magical arts, brought their books together. See, they were using magic. Now, the Jews, not all the Jews, but the Jews have a book called the Kabbalah. you ever read the Kabbalah lately? You've read through the whole thing? I have read through the whole thing. Excerpts of the thing. It's basically a magic book. Now, when we say magic here, we're not talking about the little showman type of sleight of hand, David Copperfield thing that makes the uh, Empire State Building disappear. We're talking about those that that believe there's something very secret, uh, occult, subtle, and they can somehow, by meditation and performing certain deeds, uh, progress up the ladder of uh, deification and morality and all this kind of stuff, and then get to heaven. And the Kabbalah teaches you all the secrets. It teaches you the secret letters of the Bible, it teaches you the secrets of the stories. You don't get don't don't fall for the stuff about Abraham taking the knife and trying to skewer his son. That, you know, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen. The Kabbalah though wants to tell you the re- the real story, or the real meaning. Don't get hung up with the historical part. The historical part's kind of a shroud. It's kind of a, you know, just a vehicle. And the Kabbalah is the key to get you into the magic, you know. Most of us haven't read the Kabbalah. We don't care one way about the Kabbalah. But again, some people want to use the Bible as an amulet. They want to use the Bible just as long as they have their Bible verses memorized. It's almost an amulet. It's almost an incantation. These Jews were caught up with magic. And what do they do with it? And not a few of them that practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. See, Christianity is a culture destroyer. Christianity is a culture destroyer. Book burning. Now, I don't know what goes on in Southern California. I do. But in Northern California, where we come from, book burning is the greatest of sins. You see, only the Nazis did that. No one else did it before. No one else does it afterwards. The Nazis are the only ones that burn books. These fellows weren't afraid of that. Christianity made such, Christ made such a transformation in their life made such a transformation they were willing to take these books that they had learned. Maybe they would made their livelihood off these books. Not just tricks and comic books you're talking about. These are real sacred books. And they didn't care what the community said. They were going to burn them. But there was no preacher advocating this. Burning their records or whatever. Maybe you want to do that. That's fine. But there are some things you're going to have to burn. Christ does make, does make such a radical change in people. And that's scary. When you look at that passage. They came willingly that's part of the problem of Christianity they come willingly and and that's the spirit of God that works within that they came and burned these magical books and they counted the price of them and listen to this and found out the price was there was an accountant there tabulated the whole thing 50,000 pieces of silver now how much money is that I don't know how much money that is some say it's about 10,000 dollars Not a whole lot today, right? Send it to me. I know what to do with it. 50,000 pieces of silver. You see how impractical Christians are as well. That money could have been given to the poor. You could have used that money. Here's the whole uh, 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 disciples' accountants principle, Judas' principle. That could have been sold and used. That money. Instead, they just burn us. We could at least use the money for some other reason, some other thing, building a building, as a matter of fact. Maybe they had a building project. They burned it. They didn't care. It didn't make any difference to them whether people would mock them. You're book burners. You Christians are book burners, culture burners, culture destroyers. You don't care about preserving the past, you know. What would some of us do? Well, at least keep one of them, and we'll put it over here, and we'll put it in glass, and we'll preserve it so we can go back to it and find out all the corrupt things that we learned. You're going to have to burn those old books. Now, maybe, folks, there are books that you're reading that you shouldn't be reading. And I'm not talking about pornography as such. There's a lot of books that are not pornographic at all in, this, uh, in the sexual sense, in moral sexual sense. They're just bad books. These are magical books that leads you away from Christ there's nothing evil in a book now why burn it? I just put it aside some people can't do that that's true they didn't do that again this is not advocating that you burn books as such there's nothing evil about the book as such but there's nothing sacred about that book either there's nothing sacred about oh boy you you struck a nerve when you said that books are sacred aren't they? In my study, they're sacred. I go down and say goodnight to them every night. (laughs) I go to Wagner's library. You get a whole wall of dumb books. I never believed them, no. And ministers, boy, they they like their books. I keep saying to myself, don't get proud about it. Don't get proud about it. They're going to burn. They're going to (laughs) burn. God can take them away. He sure can. And it's not just books. It's any old thing in that life of yours. It's got to be put away. Some things have to be put away quite radically, too. It's not burning that book, burning that idea, putting away old words, old thoughts. Goes Southern California, Northern California, so goes the gubernatorial race, so goes the mayoral race. I mean, in an indirect sense, indirectly, of course, but ultimately, as the Church of Jesus Christ, as the holiness of the Church of Jesus Christ goes, so goes the nation. I can't understand these statistics that they have about all these born-again people running around. So many millions of born-again people in the United States doesn't seem to be getting any better. And there doesn't seem to be any change at all. No transformation. It just seems to be getting worse. And I think you can. In, in, in segments of time, just a, society a Christian society, supposedly a Christian society, can deteriorate because they're not taking seriously the kingdom of God. They're not taking seriously the gospel. But we have to live out. They're willing to burn those books. And they're they're willing to be called culture burners. Okay, fine, call me that. It ends up this way. Finish it up, verse 20. And so mightily grew the word of the Lord and prevailed. Now, let me see your Bible. This is the NIV, NIV, verse 20. In this way the word of the Lord spread... Widely and grew in power. Okay. It's pretty much the same. Everybody have that translation? Now, you can translate it differently. There's another way to translate that. I don't know what any of the Bible has that. So the word of the Lord was mightily growing. Okay. This is another way to say the same thing, but this is a different translation. And so grew. And so, here it is. And so mightily of the Lord the word grew and increased. So, mightily of the Lord, the word grew and increased. Uh, It's a little bit different emphasis. The meaning is essentially the same. So, mightily of the Lord, the word grew and prevailed. Now, there's the word prevailed. Take a look back in verse 16. There's the not prevailed. That is, the demons prevailed. And now the word of the Lord prevails. See, the end of the episode, the end of the story is the word of the Lord grew and increased. How does the Word of the Lord grow? What, do they just print more Bibles or something? How does the Word of the Lord grow? Is it living? What do you feed? A living Bible. How does it grow? Well, it's referring to the spreading of the Word of God, the keeping of the Word of God, the increase of believers in the Word of God. The expression, the Word of the Lord grew and prevailed because they got serious about that God's Word. As the Church of Jesus Christ goes, so goes your community. So goes the nation. Now, how, how are we doing? Not only in our churches. Are we happy the way we're we comfortable in our churches? Ed Elliott uh, was my father in the Reformed faith, and he said to me when I started my church, beware of your church becoming an old shoe, I'm wearing one right now, an old shoe, because it's comfortable. And I don't want another one. I don't care what it looks like or smells like. It's comfortable. Beware of your church becoming an old shoe. You don't care what it looks like or smells like. Now, I'm not talking about the building either, but the people. We can't be comfortable. People come to my church And they say, well, it's nice to be here, but I don't feel comfortable. And I say, thank God. We don't want to make you comfortable. We want to give you comfort for sure. The gospel alone gives you comfort. not comfortable. How are we doing in our churches? Are you prevailing? Is the word of the Lord prevailing in your life? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that you provoke us into love and to good works. And, Lord, we need that work of grace in our hearts. It is not magic. Churches grow not by magic. Prayer is answered not by magic. Our children will grow up and take our place and continue the work of the kingdom by your grace and by the promise of the covenant, not by magic. Lord, forgive us of resorting to magic. However it may come out, however, whatever form that magic may take, Lord, make us a people. let strive for Christ's sake.